Hello and welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from Randy Rhodes, Rachel Maddow, The Young Turks, Bill Moyers Journal, and The Mike Malloy Show. Let's take a look now at the clip file of stories we've been collecting on the cost and conduct of the war in Iraq. You heard John Bogle talk about how those costs could soar beyond a trillion dollars. By one estimate, we're now spending half a million dollars on the war every minute. And now President Bush is asking Congress for another $200 billion for next year. That would make 2008 the most expensive year of the war yet. It's not just the cost that boggles the mind. It's the fact that no one in Washington, from the president on down, really knows where that money is going. The government is required by law to have outside auditors review the federal books. But this month, when the Associated Press took its own look at the audits of 15 executive departments, it found that the Defense Department and the Department of Homeland Security hadn't passed their audits and didn't even meet basic accounting requirements. They were given disclaimers. That is, their fiscal records are so disorganized and inconsistent they can't be fully assessed. By these departments' own admission, this makes them vulnerable to waste and fraud. For example, the Defense Department, with a $460 billion budget this fiscal year alone, is easy pickings for every Jesse James wannabe with an empty sack to fill. There are 78 criminal investigations and 20 indictments, we're told, related to contract fraud in theater. Uh, the 20 indictments are a combination of civilian and military personnel. So I am doubly appalled, triply, quadruply appalled at this day, at the horrific conduct of commissioned officers, at a clear breakdown in leadership. Members of the House Armed Services Committee could hardly believe their ears last week when they learned that $6 billion worth of military contracts are under criminal review. Another $88 billion in contracts, that's right, $88 billion, are also being audited for fraud. Here are some excerpts from that hearing. $6 billion here, $9 billion unaccounted for. You know, I feel sorry for you all because you are here defending the indefensible, and you and I know that. But Americans are asking us, how, how could this have happened? And what was the climate for this? We've not done a very good job of educating uh, our leadership, our officers who are on the ground doing contracting on what fraud indicators are, what they should be looking for. Some of the witnesses have said that what, you know, we need more ethics training. Ethics training for a full colonel in the United States Army to me is like asking a Catholic bishop to reread the Baltimore Catechism. Uh, I'm just absolutely appalled. Why is it that the United States military has this problem as opposed to large multinational corporations, Mr. Kimball? Mr. Chairman, that's a great question. And uh, if I could give you a, a really definitive answer, I'd be, I think I'd be pretty, pretty good shape. There are 630 private companies under U.S. government contract in Iraq. Their employees do everything from construction to guarding diplomats. 
You've surely heard of Blackwater. It's just one of many mercenary companies operating there. Blackwater works for the State Department. There are scores of contractors that work for the U.S. military. The investigative journalist Jeremy Scahill wrote a best-selling book on private contractors and was asked to share his findings at a meeting of the Senate Democratic Policy Committee. I sat in a defense authorization hearing this past May and watched as representative after representative asked officials from the military and the federal government, how many contractors do we have? What are they doing? How much are they being paid? What nations are they drawn from? The answers were, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous that I have representatives calling me asking me for government documents. It should be the other way around. The senators also heard from whistleblowers about contractor fraud. Robert Isaacson, a former FBI investigator of white-collar crime, went to Iraq with his disaster recovery firm. He won a subcontract with an American company called Custer Battles. They asked me three times to assist them preparing fake invoices and leases that they could then submit to the government. The first time I told them no. The second time I told them hell no. The third time, after telling them no, I told them they were all going to prison. As a result of my continued refusals to cooperate in their fraud, they, they pointed machine guns at us, stole our weapons, and seized our identifications. Later, I learned that this company was handed, had handed in $10 million in fake invoices for approximately $3 million of work. Isaacson sued Custer Battles for fraud and to have that $10 million restored to the United States. He won in civil court, but a federal judge overturned the decision ruling that the now-defunct Coalition Provisional Authority, which hired the firm, was not part of the U.S. government. So Isaacson couldn't sue them under U.S. law. He's still fighting it. The question of accountability is important. It appears to me, from all that I know, there is, there is precious little accountability with respect to contractors in Iraq. And, and it seems to me that leads to frightening problems. Mr. Congrad. As Inspector General of the State Department, Howard Krongard, known as Cookie, was supposed to be the watchdog guarding against corruption there. But he's a political appointee with strong partisan loyalties. And now, seven people on his staff have accused him not only of failing to do his job, but of actively blocking their efforts to do theirs. The reason? Quote, to protect the State Department and the White House from political embarrassment. Chairman Henry Waxman of the Key House Oversight Committee is asking Cookie to answer those allegations in person. Waxman sent the Inspector General a 14-page letter with a litany of investigations that may have been blocked. Cookie says the chairman has some explaining to do. But so does his boss, Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Waxman claims she's holding back documents on Blackwater as well as on what the State Department knows about corruption in Iraq. Stay tuned. Chairman Waxman has scheduled hearings on both Blackwater and corruption in the Iraqi government next week. December 24, 2006, 
a drunken Blackwater contractor shot the guard of the Iraqi vice president. This didn't happen out on a mission protecting diplomats. It occurred inside the protected green zone. If this had happened in the United States, the contractor would have been arrested and a criminal investigation launched. If a drunken U.S. soldier had killed an Iraqi guard, the soldier would have faced a court-martial. But all that has happened to the Blackwater contractor is that he has lost his job. The State Department advised Blackwater how much to pay the family to make the problem go away and then allowed the contractor to leave Iraq just 36 hours after the shooting. Incredibly internal emails document a debate over the size of the payment. The charged affair recommended $250,000 payment. But this was cut to $15,000 because the Diplomatic Security Service said Iraqis would try to get themselves killed for such a large payout. Well, it's hard to read these emails and not come to the conclusion that the State Department is acting as Blackwater's enabler. Welcome back. 35 minutes past the hour. This is the Rachel Maddow Show here on Air America Radio, and that was Henry Waxman today at hearings about the private contractor firm, uh, contracting firm Blackwater. Eric Prince, the chairman of this, contra- this contracting company, uh, testified before Waxman's committee today in an attempt to salvage his company's image. Joining us now is Peter W. Singer. He's both Senior Fellow for Foreign Policy Studies and Director of the 21st Century Defense Initiative at the Brookings Institute. Uh, Peter Singer, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Henry Waxman essentially charged today that while Blackwater may be a a company with problems, uh, Waxman essentially said that contracting itself is the thing we ought to see as a problem. Uh, Do you agree with Waxman's emphasis there? I, I think uh, we do. We just issued a pretty major report here um, that kind of sums up our findings. It's called uh, Private Military Contractors and Counterinsurgency Can't Win With Them, Can't Go to War Without Them. Um, and that pretty much sums up the predicament that we're in right now, where it, the hearings tended to focus on the issues of whether it's saving us money or not, and the data doesn't tend to show that it is, um, whether there was good oversight and management of the company in question, and it appears, again, that there probably really isn't good oversight and management. And then finally, there was a back and forth on whether there's legal accountability. But what we found is that take those issues aside, there's still a fundamental question here, which is that along eight different parameters, private military contractors are undermining the counterinsurgency efforts of our troops on the ground. They're making it harder to win this war. And then the second part of this is we've put ourselves in a predicament of we're reliant on the marketplace to carry out the core function of the government, one of which is to fight and win the nation's wars. So you're stuck in this terrible cycle. What are some of the ways that contractors, um, even good contractors, uh, undermine our troops' ability to win a counterinsurgent operation? That's one of the things that um, it gets a little confusing for folks because they lump together uh, both um, normal practices and abuses. So normal practices where no civilians are harmed can still actually harm your overall counterinsurgency effort. And so what we're talking about is that contractors tend to focus on their job. They are rewarded, they're hired or fired based on whether they perform the contract. 
their bosses don't care whether they're losing or winning Iraqi hearts and minds along the way. So kind of common operating procedures are things like driving the convoy up the wrong side of the road, um, firing smoke bombs, uh, firing machine guns as warning. One, one journalist that was embedded with Blackwater uh, a year ago described that they fired their machine guns like car horns. Um, these are kind of things where even if no civilians are harmed, it angers the local Iraqis. And in the report, there's a series of quotes from um, senior U.S. military officials saying, you know, basically they're fulfilling the contract, but every time they're going out, they're making more enemies. And this is when no one's being harmed. The second part of this is the pattern of abuses. And you heard some references. Um, Waxman pointed to one incident, the Christmas Eve shooting. But there have been many, many more, and involving companies beyond Blackwater. And so you have this pattern of abuses, which are creating problems, and then you add into it, a sense of a double standard where no one's being held accountable for them. So it's not just the abuses happening, but whether someone's being charged. And so it really does undermine the effort of, you know, basically you're going to the Iraqis and saying, we need you to have rule of law, and then you're not actually implementing any rule of law on your own guys. Jeremy Scahill is here, and of course he's the author of many articles that uh, inform me uh, about uh, Blackwater in the nation, and now a whole book called Blackwater. It's just uh, really an amazing phenomenon, these private contractors who operate under absolutely no law that I can figure out. Uh, tell me what the problems are with having them. Tell me why we thought it was a good idea that we have them. What's the deal with the private, the privatization of the military? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, right now, I think most Americans are still unaware of the fact that uh, there are about 165 to 175,000 official U.S. troops on the ground in Iraq. And what's almost never mentioned is the fact that there are about 180,000 so-called private contractors in Iraq. That means that now, the U.S. military is a junior partner in the occupation of Iraq. It does, because there's more contractors who answer to company, maybe, and not country. And then you've got the troops working side by side for a tenth of what the uh, private guys make. But the newspaper, the reason why I wanted to stop you right there is whenever I read a newspaper article, they don't have those numbers. Right. They don't have the 180,000 number. At best, they'll say 40,000 contractors. Right. And I know that uh, Jan Schakowsky, uh one of our uh, Congress people, she can't even find out the number of contractors. She can't get any information. She doesn't even know how much money they get. She assumes it's 40 cents on every dollar we appropriate for the war goes to private companies. Why is it that Congress can't find these things out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, they, there's there's a massive labyrinth of subcontracts, uh, which a lot of these companies uh, work under. A KBR, for instance, which is the largest U.S. contractor in Iraq, has layers and layers of subcontractors, and it's a policy of the company not to reveal any information about its subcontractors. And so if a U.S. Congressional Committee starts investigating an incident that happened, and ultimately it's linked back to a KBR contract, they have to go through four or five companies in some cases to figure out who was ultimately working at the bottom of the chain. I mean, that was the case with the most famous incident involving contractors in Iraq was on March 31st, 2004, four Blackwater operatives ambushed and killed in Fallujah, dragged through the streets, burned, strung up from a bridge. It took Congressman Henry Waxman from November of 2004 
to February of 2007 to get an answer as to who they actually were working for. If you multiply that out of the fact that there's 600 companies working for the U.S. government in Iraq right now, 180 of which are mercenary companies, and you realize that it's, it's an absolute dark hole, and even the leading investigators of Congress can't get a straight answer on it. Now, I want to know how you get away with calling them mercenaries, and I can't. I got sued, and, uh, you know, what's really interesting is if you try to subpoena somebody uh, on, you know, to defend yourself, then they simply say that person no longer works for the company, and that person never, ever, ever has to, you know, uh, accept the subpoena. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I mean, you, you can't even get, a, you know, the person who, you know, was written up about or the person who, who you were talking about, you can't even get their testimony. And now today also I find out that um, uh, Waxman, you know, these committees that they put together to investigate contractors and things like that, they just simply defund the unit of the government that is in charge of, you know, investigating. They just don't give them their money, and they can't move forward with their investigation. It's like, it's, it's almost like the privatization of our government. It's funny, because when, when Bush took office, he said he was going to run it like a corporation. And he is, like a really bad corporation, where nobody's accountable for anything. But here you've got a situation where contractors are dying, uh, and, you know, nobody knows uh, under what law anybody is to be held accountable. Iraq says, oh, they're going to ban Blackwater. No, they're not, because Condi Rice makes a phone call to Maliki and says, you know, uh, you really don't want to do... What's the deal? I, I, what, what is this war really about? If it, I, We understand from Greenspan, it's from, about oil, but what about all this money? For well, the look, we're in the midst of the most radical privatization agenda in the history of this country right now. We see it in our public schools where they defund public schools. They say the schools are failing. We need to privatize them and put them in the hands of right-wing evangelical Christians. Same thing with our health care system. Uh, our prisons are full of private guards. Now the Border Patrol may be increasingly privatized, and now we see it with the war in Iraq. This isn't just about the occupation of Iraq. Yes, the Bush administration uses this shadow army of private contractors because it's politically expedient. Their deaths don't get counted in the official toll. Mm -hmm. No one's paying attention to the crimes they're committing against Iraqis. Certainly none of them have ever been prosecuted for any crimes whatsoever. But it also has to do with the, with the agenda of the Bush administration, which is that they're taking billions of dollars in public money and, and funneling it into private corporations for whom business is their war. And you now have many companies whose firepower and manpower could outgun some national militaries in the world. It calls into question the very existence of the nation-state. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, the idea that there are so many of them and that, you know, we've seen trophy videos. That was a British company called Aegis. That th These guys were so brazen that not only did they videotape themselves killing civilians, but they set it to Elvis music, bad Elvis music, too, you know. It's like Mystery Train or something. And, and they're just taking pot shots at, at, at cars full of Iraqi civilians well, because, and laughing. Because we, we, th this, this is a clear indicator of the value that's placed on Iraqi lives. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a little Iraqi girl sitting in the backseat of a, of a car that your father is driving uh, or if you're a so-called insurgent. If you get too close to the car of one of these mercenaries when they're protecting a Paul Bremer or an Ambassador Ryan Crocker, they're going to fire on that car. And it doesn't matter who's inside of it because that one American life that they're protecting is, is, is worth infinitely more than any number of Iraqi lives, whether they be children, women, or so-called insurgents in a vehicle near you on the road. And we've seen all sorts of incidents that have happened over the past four years in Iraq, and no accountability whatsoever. See, Maliki didn't get the memo. There's not a such thing as a sovereign Iraqi government. That's so what yesterday, I was saying. Yesterday, we, he, we had a little bit of a problem because Maliki actually acted as though he was in control of Iraq, and he said, well, we're going to kick Blackwater out. He accused mm -hmm. them, and he used the word criminal. He said they, they yep. were engaged in criminal activity. 
And then Condoleezza Rice had to call him up because she's actually the president of Iraq, apparently, and read him the riot act. <laughs> and, and they said, oh, well, Condoleezza Rice called us to apologize. Yeah, I'm sure she did call to apologize. And then right after that apology, it was like, and they're going nowhere. Because if you kick Blackwater out, this isn't just some company running around Iraq. This is the official mercenary company of the U.S. government. They protect Condoleezza Rice when she goes over there. They're going nowhere. Janice Kowski went on to question him even further about this, and uh, she said, Gary Jackson, the president of Blackwater, uh, actually admitted that you went out and hired Chilean commandos who served under Augusto Pinochet, the brutal dictator of Chile. And in fact, they went and had a jobs fair in Romania and were looking for guys who used to work for Milosevic. Jeremy Scahill wrote the book on Blackwater. He knows all this. I'm sure this was a small sort of a sigh of relief for you to hear it come out of Congress people's mouths. Yes? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, on that point uh, that, that Jan Schakowsky was raising, uh, one of the stories that I tell in, in, uh, in my book, uh, I actually tracked down the Chilean recruiter that Blackwater worked with and, uh, and got him to talk to me for two and a half hours on the record, and he explained to me how in late 2003, Blackwater began working with him, hiring up scores of Chilean commandos, flying them, getting them multiple entry visas, uh, in Chile, flying them up to Blackwater's private military base in Moyak, North Carolina, and then deploying them to Iraq. And some of these guys were seasoned veterans of Augusto Pinochet's uh, military. In fact, the recruiter that Blackwater worked with, his name is uh, Jose Miguel Pizarro Ovalle, he himself uh, was sworn in for his military service by Pinochet himself in Chile. And wasn't he recently indicted? Well, Jan Schakowsky said that there's been an ongoing investigation of him in Chile uh, for a number of years, and the United Nations Working Group on Mercenaries is also investigating him. But one, one of the things this individual did is to move the operations of his uh, company that Blackwater worked with out of Chile, and he moved it to Uruguay. Uh, so he's definitely under investigation. There have been rumblings that there were going to be uh, charges brought against him. He had been charged at one point uh, in the last uh, year and a half. I don't know if he's under a current indictment for his activities, but he certainly is of great interest to the Chilean government, which is opposed to the Iraq war. And what's interesting is when Jan Schakowsky brought this up with Eric Prince, she said, don't you have any qualms uh, about hiring up soldiers from countries that are against the war? And Prince said he thought that people had a right to, uh, to engage in contract labor. That's what, you know, he said they're free to contract. They're just the people of Chile. And, uh, you know, they're free to contract if they don't, uh, if their government's position is they won't ally with the United States. There's no reason why I can't right. contract with their citizenry. <laughs> and, it's, and, and you know what's interesting, Randy, is that Eric Prince continues to do this ridiculous thing, which is to use the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of a mercenary, which is a professional soldier serving a foreign power. What on earth does he think the Chileans he hired up were? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's his definition of mercenary that Blackwater embodies. Yeah, I, you know, listen, this was stunning to me. This was really the most amazing uh, exchange of the whole day was Jan Schakowsky because Jan Schakowsky obviously is representing the family of Jerry Zavko and others who were uh, ill-trained, didn't have maps, and were sent in to Fallujah and changed the entire mission of this war from winning hearts and minds to one of avenging the Blackwater contractors' deaths. 
I mean, well, that's what happened in Fallujah, and we lost so many U.S. soldiers in the Battle of Fallujah, uh, and, and that's why she's asking these questions. What really stunned me, though, is that he's, you know, he parses everything, this guy. He is the smarmiest of the smarmy. He sat there yesterday, and Tchaikovsky was asking him, uh, isn't it true that, you know, you, uh, you hire third country nationals? And he goes, well, yeah. And she's like, well, do they get security clearances to go on sensitive missions? And he's like, well, you know what? We do a background check. They right. do a background check, and then they give a national security clearance to some guy who supported Milosevic, who he says, oh, I don't use those countries anymore. Now I just stick to Latin America. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the incredible things is that, I mean, Prince uh, was, was so dishonest in, the, in, in answering that question, and then he tried to say, well, the government of the Philippines is against it, so we don't use forces from the Philippines, while at the same time admitting that they've used forces from Chile, which was a rotating member of the U.N. Security Council opposed to the invasion at right. the time of the invasion. <laughs> You know, I just I, I can't get over the idea that, uh, you know, that, that, that we are giving security clearances to people who were aligned with a brutal dictator uh, like Augusto Pinochet or that we actually are hiring a company that openly has a job fair in, in Bucharest in Romania looking for guys who were loyal, looking for, for Serbs and, and, and former Yugoslavs who committed atrocities uh, and supported Milosevic. You know, the underlying part of this is that at a strategic level, um, there's two big problems. Iraq isn't just the only battle space going on here. You have a wider war of ideas, and we are getting tagged. When I say we, the U.S. are getting tagged very negatively because of the actions of contractors, even though they're not part of the chain of command. So one of the things the report went into is looking at how this recent incident with Blackwater was covered in the press across the Middle East. And it was, you know, to Abu Ghraib-like levels, where the most prominent columnist um, in the region was comparing their actions to al-Qaeda. Uh, and, you know, that's not a good thing. It undermines our broader efforts. But then you have a second thing going on. We have repeatedly set up strategies to win this war. And in the military, when you set up a strategy, you expect the enemy to respond to it, and then you have to readjust that strategy. You know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. The problem is that on at least three different occasions, at the strategic level, it wasn't enemy action that caused us to have to drop the strategy. It was contractor action. And we're seeing that play out, particularly um, right now, where, you know, a lot of people have had a back and forth on the whole surge strategy. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had General Petraeus and um, Ambassador Crocker go to Congress and present on the strategy and their plan for winning the war in the year ahead. Now, there was debate about whether the military benchmarks were being met. But there was, and that debate becomes a little more interesting right now when you um, add in the fact that in the same week that they testified that we were achieving stability, contractor shot 43 people in the Baghdad area. Um, that's according to the McClatchy News Service. Mm. That, you know, return to normal life, as President Bush puts it, um, got a little bit dicier when you add in what contractor action is happening. But 
leave the military benchmarks aside. There was debate on that. What there was no debate on across the aisle was that the political benchmarks were key and that the Iraqis weren't showing progress on it. And we had to press the Iraqis to show some progress on the political benchmarks. What happens just a week later? We have this incident. And so Secretary Rice has to call up Prime Minister Maliki. She doesn't call him up to say, we need you to pass the oil law or we need you to deal with the amnesty issues. These are some critical benchmarks. Instead, she has to call up and apologize and express sympathies on behalf of the company. Okay. A couple of days later, yeah. President Bush meets with Maliki. Number one on the agenda is not, how do you end sectarian violence to get our troops out of there? It's Blackwater. And so even the surge strategy, you know, whether people like it or not, even that strategy is being screwed up by this. But, Peter, the one thing that struck me about this political developments is that kicking Blackwater out of the country, which was the proposal immediately from the Iraqi government after this scandal, after this incident happened in Baghdad, was the one thing that the Iraqi government had done thus far in its entire tenure that got support from the Iraqi media, got support from the Arab media generally, and that actually kind of seemed to make the government appear to be doing the will of the people for the first time it was like really their first great political moment and then immediately within days even after they have their first political reification moment within days we have blackwater back on the streets working for the state department again because they've smoothed it over behind the scenes somehow yeah and you you point to two really important issues there the first is that you know when we talk about a government you know, the key issue as is to whether it's respected or not is does it have sovereignty? Does it control the armed actors within its borders? And if it doesn't, then no one has any reason to trust them. And so one of the things in the report, we have this pretty incredible quote from an Iraqi where he describes Blackwater and says, they are more powerful than the government. Now, what's interesting is the Iraqi saying that was an Iraqi soldier. Mm. So when your own soldier is saying, well, actually, you know, the folks I work for, they're not as powerful as these contractors, sort of cuts to the heart of the matter of, you know, why should, you know, how can we get our troops out of there? Why should the populace trust them if their own soldiers think they're not as powerful? Sure, and what is the mission? If our troops, if our whole American effort there, if all these billions that we're spending and all this blood we're shedding is to stand up a sovereign Iraqi government, the Iraqi government asks for something, we say no, and we keep armed people on their streets who are not subject to their laws, it's all, there's almost nothing more we could do to undermine their sovereignty any further. It's a real double standard, in it, and it doesn't play well at all. And that's why you have so many U.S. military officers pointing to this, that, you know, they're the ones being left with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And that really wasn't one of the things that came up at the hearings today. Um, the other part of it, as you note, is, you know, the Iraqi government said, you know, we want them suspended, we want them out of there. Well, five days later, they started back operations in Iraq. And that's that second part that's the problem. It's not just the can't win with them. It's the can't go to war without them, that you also have a dependence on them where a private contractor takes an action, and that action shuts down essentially our entire embassy for five days, and yet we can't do anything about it because we have such a dependency built on it. And so you're locked within this really, um, we actually describe it as almost like an addiction cycle. And you know, no one wants to talk about the intervention that needs to happen to get, get out of this cycle.
about Blackwater and Newsweek. A lot of Blackwater news today. An amazing, uh, basically, report coming out of the Oversight Committee. Our good friend Henry Waxman back at work, a couple of lead pipes and a couple of blowtorch, uh, blowtorches, and he's gone to work on Blackwater, and the stuff he's found out is amazing. The stuff that Newsweek's found out is also amazing. That's what we're going to talk to Kevin about. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the Young Turks. Thanks for having me. No problem. So uh, you guys have a videotape of what partly what happened in the famous or infamous shooting uh, where Blackwater killed anywhere from 11 to 17 Iraqi civilians, and you've seen the file that the Iraqi police have on it. What's in that file and what's on that videotape, Kevin? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, uh, I was over at the Iraqi National Police Headquarters on Saturday, which is just uh, about two minutes away from Nassau Square, the scene of this shooting, and was interviewing the general, uh, the head of the, the commander of the National Police, and uh, I was, he was saying that the, the Blackwater helicopters were firing um, from the air at the scene. I said, well, how do you know? And he said, well, um, we have a videotape. You can see, um, you know, holes in the roofs of the cars, and uh, he ended up showing me the videotape, giving me a copy of it, and then um, before I left, sort of turning over this whole, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was the entire file, but a, a large portion of this file, which included um, sworn witness statements, um, an incident report that the lead investigator wrote, and this videotape that's about nine minutes long. And in the videotape, you know, I'm, I'm not sure there's um, conclusive proof um, one way or the other um, of, of, of what happened um, when, just when you look at the videotape. You can look for yourself. It's on our website. Um, but, it, you know, you can't really tell. It's, after, it's actually after the shooting, about two minutes later, when the, the national police officers ran over to the scene and uh, with a video camera and taped some of this stuff. You see shell casings on the ground. You see a white Kia that's been destroyed. Um, you do see holes in the roof of the Kia, uh, although it's not clear um, to me um, just from the video whether these were, could have been shot from a helicopter or, or could have been shot from, you know, a higher trajectory um, for one of these Blackwater vehicles. Um, and then what you see in the, the witness statements is a pretty consistent picture of, um, you know, pretty much every uh, witness statement that I read um, said that the, the shooting began for reasons that the witnesses couldn't tell. They said Blackwater started shooting, um, started shooting at this white Kia, and then um, when um, the, the traffic police who were in the circle ran to the sides of the Kia, they intensified their fire. Now, Blackwater says they thought um, a policeman was pushing the car closer to their vehicles um, toward the square, and that's why they started shooting, because they thought they were pushing a car bomb. Um, I interviewed the, the policeman um, who, was, who they thought was pushing, and he said, I wasn't pushing it. I mean, I, I saw somebody got shot. I ran to the car to try to help them. Um, uh, and so that's, you know, so there are, there are pretty much diametrically opposed stories here. Um, but, but, but one sort of clear picture uh, in the National Police file, and it more or less, you know, it's more or less jibes with the interviews that we've done with witnesses um, at the scene on our own, uh, aside from this file. So, Kevin, let me get this straight. First of all, people can see the video at Newsweek.com or MSNBC.com. They both work. And we also have a link to it at our website, TheYoungTurks.com. But, Kevin... From what I can gather from your story and from the video and from the witness accounts, basically it appears the best guess is that this Kia came a little too close to the cars that the Blackwater was driving and that they thought that it might be a car bomb. And then they started shooting at it. It looks to me from the uh, holes in the roof that the helicopters did shoot at but I really don't see the big deal if the helicopters shot at it or not because... They shot the living crap out of that car one way or another and killed everybody inside. Right. Um, right. And, and then we basically don't seem to have any returning fire. I, I, that, that part is a little less clear, and how it got started is a little less clear. But 
in the end, Blackwater winds up shooting the whole place up, whether they're returning fire or not, and and they wind up killing all these civilians, and they didn't find any insurgents, did they? Anybody with weapons or anything along those lines? No, you know, the National Police, um, they went over there right afterward, like I said, literally two minutes afterwards, and they said they didn't find any um, any insurgents, uh, any, any weapons in the cars. They said the area is a secure area. You have to go through checkpoints, so it's difficult to get a weapon in there anyway. But it should be um, kept in mind that the National Police itself is a controversial force. I mean, there was a report not too long ago um, this summer um, from a retired Marine General, James Jones, who said the National Police should be disbanded because they're, they're so infiltrated um, with sectarian loyalists. Um, and um, so, you know, and, and Blackwater has said um, in these sort of these statements that they made, the guards made to State Department officials that were later leaked to ABC News, these Blackwater guards um, say that they were actually being shot at by people in police uniforms. So, you know, uh, there's both of these forces are, are controversial, um, you know, Blackwater and the National Police. Uh, that oversight report, Kevin, says that, and we're talking to Kevin Perino from Newsweek, says that 84% of the time that Blackwater was involved in a shooting, and this is from the Blackwater and State Department records. Uh, they started the shooting, not the other way around. The Blackwater started the shooting 84% of the time. When you start the shooting 84% yeah. of the time, aren't you bound to uh, create a tremendous amount of problems and uh, wind up killing civilians and then is going to enrage the local population? Yeah, that's certainly what their their critics would say. I mean, there were um, in, in this report that you mentioned, there were um, 195 incidences in which Blackwater fired.